Today's date is August the 15th, 2018. The title of today's message is Troubleshooting Faithfulness. Troubleshooting Faithfulness. Now we've been listening to some fantastic messages. And if you're paying attention and taking good notes, you would notice that the overall theme for each one of these messages recently is faithfulness. Good. Amen. Y'all listen. Y'all pay attention. Pastor Eric has excited and confronted us with the realities of God's kingdom through the messages faithfulness over time, faithful confidence, and when God gives you the finger, faithful to break a stone. Has God ever given you a finger? Yes. yes amen. If, if, yeah. Amen. If he hasn't, pray what happens. It's wonderful. These messages are aimed at increasing our faithfulness to the Lord by increasing our understanding of his faithfulness to us and ours to him. Amen? One facet of this understanding is found in today's title, Troubleshooting Faithfulness. Everybody turn to Psalm 36, verse 2. This will kick us off. We captured this, this picture on our title slide with our high-speed cameras on our phone. The smoke is obscuring me standing in front of that, that gear. So Psalm 36, verse 2. For in his own eyes, he flatters himself. Too much to detect or hate his sin. I chose this scripture because I want to start it off by understanding troubleshooting. And particularly troubleshooting faithfulness within our own heart. When I studied this scripture, I found that the word flatters can mean to smooth over or to separate or divide into portions. The word detect, it means to search out. It's matzah. When you combine these two together, we lose the ability to troubleshoot our own faithfulness when we flatter ourselves with statements like, you know what, it's really not that big of a deal. You just smooth it right over. You make it less than what it really is. Or you compartmentalize it with a statement that says, that is completely a separate issue. Now, I know all of you married folks in this room have never experienced either one of those statements, right? No, not at all. No, this really captures the full spectrum of personalities and characters that exist within human, human beings, within us. When we do this, it prevents us to seek out our own sin in order to hate it. A better yet, it prevents us from seeking out the faithfulness that God wants to see within us. So let's do something. Let's begin to pray right now. And let's ask the Lord to search out our hearts in order to find the things to love that keep us faithful. Y'all do that with me? Come on. Jesus, we invite your word and your spirit into our hearts and our minds right now. That as we engage your word, that our hearts would be cut. That our minds would be renewed. That we'd experience that transformational power that you did for us when we were first born again. That we had eyes to see. We would have ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us, your bride and your church. So that we can be faithful until the very end. Representing your name, your body, your character of work in every regard. We love you mighty God, and we thank you for this time to experience your word. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's look at one example in the law and see how it instructs our hearts to be plugged in. Turn to Exodus 31. We'll start in verse 1. 
Come on, y'all going to have fun with me tonight? You know, when some of the uh, disciples began to listen to the ancient messages back in 2005 and 2004, one thing they commented to me that brought some conviction. They said, man, you were really a cut-up way back in the day. You were funny, you cracked jokes, all kind of stuff. You're not like that anymore. So I'm going to try and turn the tide. I'm going to troubleshoot my own faithfulness. And I'm going to return to something that is uplifting and inspirational. Because I remember you guys are going to hold me to that. So Exodus 31, we'll start in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill and ability and knowledge, and all kinds of crafts. Let's skip down to verse 5. To cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. When you are anointed by God to do a task, you are also called to engage that task. You know, one of the the testimonies in my own life is that God has always needed to provoke me to move once he's anointed me to do a task. I don't know if that's unique just about me, that also exists within your life. When we look at these men, Bezalel and Oliah, not only were they anointed but had to be engaged, they were also plugged into the pattern that was shown to Moses. You know, this may look like being joined to a vision of a man of God, of a church body, and not really sure knowing where to plug in and find your place. You know that you're anointed to do certain things, And what you're looking for is the Spirit of God to not only anoint you, but as you engage the very tasks that are right before you, you will find that anointing flowing through you to help fulfill the the vision that God has given. Come on, y'all need vision today? Yes, same for me. The result of being anointed and engaging in the task was that the temple of God was being built. And the end result is that God's glory and presence would rest on it. Now, that's back then, right? That's a, in a, a far, far away place a long time ago. That's also what God is doing right here in this house. So imagine yourself like Bezalel or Eliah. There had never been a tabernacle built prior to this. And they're building off of a pattern that one guy got from God on a mountain and came back with the blueprints. And you're putting this together, you're finding God's favor on every craftsmanship that you're doing, and you're wondering the whole time, what is it going to be like whenever it's completed? What's going to happen? You're Bezalel, no lie, and you're standing there, and it's all done. You've wrestled through the struggles of just the intimidating task of doing something for God. Because if they were not following that pattern, then there was some judgment uh, that would be upon them. But by following that pattern they were able to stand back and watch the presence of God fill that temple for the first time. They would follow the people of God in the desert, the cloud by day and the fire by night, then filled that structure, and there the name of the Lord dwelt. What are you doing within this church? 
Are you looking forward to that moment when the works of your hands and the anointing of God flowing through you results in getting in a service, being in a home meeting, or just maybe sitting in a restaurant and God's tabernacle is dwelling right there within your midst? His glory fills that room. It fills that meeting that you're sitting in and his presence begins to transform them just like it transformed you. Come on. Next, let's go to the prophets to view a man's life that will warn our soul. Turn to Judges chapter 12, and we'll go to verse 2. Come on, am I staying inspirational? Amen. Amen. So I'll make, make sure. Judges 12, 2. Is everybody there? Amen. I'm sorry, I'm not. (laughs) Jephthah answered, I and my people were engaged or plugged in a great struggle with the Ammonites. And although I called, you didn't save me out of their hands. You know, as Jethro plugged into the battle that God called him to, his faithfulness had to endure the opposition from those who should have joined him. They begin to throw stones at him and blame him for not letting them know that this was going on. And they show up at the very end of the battle. Don't be surprised that when you have engaged in a work, you've engaged in a task that God has given you, that you're going to face some kind of opposition. You'll meet a Christian at work, or supposedly a Christian at work, and say, man, I I, I didn't know you were going out to the streets and preaching. I didn't know that you were ministering uh, this way or that way, going on a mission trip. You should have called me and, left me and let me know. So, well, I actually did let you know about six times beforehand. And I've been calling you to come and join this faithfulness to plug into the very thing that's giving me life, that's teaching me how to move in the gifts of God and be developed in the ministry. But you found better things to go do, and now you're ashamed that you can't participate in the same move of God that I am. Your faithfulness to the Lord is going to be opposed by those who say they belong to God but really don't. To stay plugged in, you cannot get into side skirmishes. You know, we don't throw rocks at every dog that barks when we're going off to war. So when you are on task, when you're engaged in great conflict, we have to keep our eyes and ears open and not get involved in side conversations with family members five seconds before you step in to go do something for God. You can't take those phone calls from that one person that has yet to repent of their sin and you told them the same thing over and over about three or four times and they have yet to do it. When you're about to step right into battle and go do something great for God. Come on, we got to stay focused. We have to stay plugged in to the will of God in front of us and always keep that priority at the top. His faithfulness, Jephthah's faithfulness, brought about a great victory for the nation of Israel. You never know that the fruit of your faithfulness and going through those great struggles. And I like the word great inserted in this because we all have struggles, but what really defines that great struggle? Isn't it that time when it looks almost impossible or more certain that what you have set out to go do as the will of God is not going to come through? All indicators are pointing in the opposite direction. 
and you're hanging on by a thread and said, Jesus, I need you to come through for this, for this healing, for this salvation of a family member, for this work situation, or just to find work in the first place. And down to that last minute, your faithfulness to the character of God has provided for you access to his power being plugged into you. We have to stay on task with his faithfulness. Let's go to the writings to show us exactly how to live it out. Turn to Psalm 119, verse 48. There you go. Shout it out when you're there. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I lift up my hands to your commands, which I love. And I meditate on your decrees. When we think about the word meditate, right? This could be sitting down and just pondering something for a while, right? Or could be. But doesn't it communicate something a little more in-depth, that's constantly stirring within your heart. It's rolling around your mind and your soul. You just cannot get yourself unfixed from it. When we put God's word in front of us and we're constantly letting it engage our thoughts, we're constantly letting it judge the attitudes of our heart, it allows us to let the word be the real teacher in our life. Amen. Come on, ladies. You guys ever struggle with the thought that you're not beautiful? I got four girls a mom that lives with me, and I have a beautiful wife. And all of them have a problem looking in the mirror and saying, I am beautiful. What you're is constantly at war within your own minds is that you're not good enough, that your appearance is not becoming. But having a word wash over you, that you are beautiful, that you are valuable, that you can accomplish great things for God, has to overpower all those other thoughts that are trying to steal your meditation on God's word. We have to fight. We have to set our hearts and mind on the very thing that will get us plugged in to the source of what God has for us. I am tired of the devil stealing things from our church. I am tired of watching people's lives grow and then fall. I want to see lives escalate in the power and the will of God. I want to see each one of you accomplish God's will for your life and do it in exceptional fashion. So we have to constantly be engaging our hearts and minds in God's word so we can meditate on the very thing that instructs us. And what does that look like? Just a small reference, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for correcting, rebuking, teaching, and training in righteousness. So you know what that meditation is going to do? It's going to correct your heart. That meditation, it's going to rebuke your mind. I know I, I need that a lot. Come on, cast down that thought. You need to be taught. I think everybody loves to be taught. And you need that training in righteousness. You know, one man or woman of God's hand grabbing yours and showing you exactly how to execute the work. Just sitting in a classroom isn't going to cut it. But when we meditate on God's word, we are ready to receive all four of those elements found in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 18. So the man of God might be thoroughly equipped and ready for every good work. Y'all want to be ready for every good work? Yes. Let's get on some better stuff here. 
the effects of staying plugged into God's word, then pick up in verse 49 of Psalm 119. Remember your word to your servant. Let me pause on that real quick. When I am dwelling and swimming in God's word, and I'm letting it perform all four of those actions mentioned in 2 Timothy, it begins to revive in me the promises that God has made me. It begins to resurrect the purpose for which he has called me. And I remember his word to me. And not only that, I remember his word to you. You know those moments in a home meeting when you experience a prophecy or you hear someone else receive an encouraging word, and five, maybe even ten years later, at the right moment, God resurrects that word at the right time to give you life and remember exactly what he has called you to do? Come on, Pastor Eric, one of the uh, fantastic testimonies in developing this ministry is that the first church building that we moved into, Pastor Eric was walking outside in the back, and he was looking for that word, that encouragement to revive his soul and just let him know that you're doing everything right. And he sat down on the curb, he opened his Bible looking for a verse, and it fell open to one of his note pages in the front. And in it was written a prophecy 15 years prior to the day that spoke of that very moment when God promised that he would plant a church and give us a ministry work. And at the right time, because he was seeking to meditate on God's word, God resurrected even a prophecy 15 years prior, handwritten in the note section of his Bible to give him exactly what he needed to get that remembrance to carry on. The results that happened to Pastor Eric, that happens in you and me, we see exactly the last half of verse 49. For you have given me what, saints? Come on, say, you have given me? Who needs hope in the house tonight? I do. Continue on. Verse 50. My what? Come on, say it again. My is in my suffering, in my suffering is this. You promise, your promise perseveres, I'm sorry, preserves my life. We have three key things at work here. We have hope. Everybody say hope. We have comfort. And we have preserves. One more time. Hope. Comfort. Preserves. We're going to echo these things throughout the remaining of the message because this is the inspiration I'm wanting to impart into you tonight. When you're sitting down at work next week and you're wondering, I'm not really sure what God has called me to do. I want these words of hope, comfort, and preserves to come right back to your memory and revive your soul. Amen? Because it gives me hope. Because it brings me comfort, because it preserves my life, I find the strength of God in being plugged in. I have to be plugged in. I got to be plugged in. Say it with me. I got to be plugged in. One more time. I got to be plugged in. I'm borrowing that from you, Lynn. Colossians 1, 17. Turn there with me.
He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is a simple verse, very Peshat. This, though, is the type of scripture that will anchor and revive your soul as you meditate on it. The source we go back to and connect to is always Jesus. You know, we make things a lot more complex than what they really are. When you're in struggles, when you're going through a time where you're, you're just trying to find some of the basic discernment of what God's will really is, that process of getting plugged in is you go back to the source. You know, in that troubleshooting process uh, uh, or troubleshooting I mentioned earlier, one of the fundamentals is that you always go to the source to begin the troubleshooting uh, process. That's where we have to start. So when your mind is cloudy, you've had a rough day at work, you may have had a skirmish with your spouse, and you're wondering, Lord, I really can't hear your voice right now. Begin to go back to the source, because in him, we find that ability to hold all things together. His word holds our heart together. His word holds my mind together. And his word holds God's will together inside of me. John 15, 5. Let's go there. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains or plugs into me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. God's will for every single believer, but let's make it a little more local. God's will for every person sitting in this room right now is that you go and bear much fruit. Not just a little, not just a couple of things for God, but bear much fruit. And it comes from that understanding of you have to remain, you have to be plugged in to the source, plugged into Jesus, plugged into his word. Because apart from him, we can do what? Nothing. When I'm plugged in, when I'm remaining in him, it gives me hope. When I'm plugged in, when I'm remaining in him, it gives me comfort. And it also preserves my life. Amen. I want to share some examples. Now, after spending many years of the electrical field, I've learned that the troubleshooting process not only begins at the source, but it, it begins to identify something called poor connections. Let's pull up that slide, poor connections. I don't see this well enough, but some of you guys may have seen this some point in your life. <laughs> it's an electric barbecue pit he's got. So we have a power strip with a plug. And as a result of a poor connection, you've had some serious damage, if not a potential electrical fire. One of the main characteristics about poor connections is that they do not improve without adjustment. Let me elaborate on this. My job in, when I was in uh, the electrical field, both as a technician and also in sales, 
was that I was to go to every facility and use this special device called an infrared camera. And I would locate problem or poor connections on, on electrical panels and devices. And one thing that was consistent is that none of them ever got better over time. We would spend hours opening up all their equipment, taking pictures, making this beautiful report. I would sit down with a facility manager and I would say, okay, here's your report. Let's go line by line. Let's look at them. And I would identify to them the severity of the problems that I found. And they range from a scale of one to four and whatever that may be. But you know what would happen is that the second, third, fourth, and fifth year that I would come back, they didn't do anything to correct those issues. And every time I came back, those problems that were at a stage one then grew to like a DEFCON 4. None of them improved over time. What does this look like spiritually in our own life? When we have a poor connection between us and God. We have a poor connection between us and somebody within the body of Christ, or maybe even not in the body of Christ. It doesn't improve without adjustment. And that as time goes by, it'll just continue to erode. As time goes by, it'll it'll actually build corrosion on that electrical connection, and what you have is a result of something that looks just like this, but that's a relationship in your life. It's a relationship between you and God, relationship between you and somebody else. The second item, damage is multiplied as load is increased. Here's what I mean. Let's make this very simple, like a, 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 a two by four. That if I took a board and just set it on the ground and took a saw and just notched it four times across, well, it's there. You're not really going to see much of the, the fracturing that's evident. But if I set that two by four on bricks and then have six people stand on it, it'll crack. It'll begin to give way. That additional load on this electrical circuit or that board begins to expose exponentially the poor connections that it has. Spiritually, how does that relate to our own lives? That may look like everything is going great in your life. You're going to foundations. You're going to discipleship helps. God is blessing your job. And when he begins to ask, I don't know, maybe host a Bible study in your home. All of a sudden, that whatever time your meeting starts, 30 minutes prior, all hell breaks loose. Air conditioners go out. Children get sick. You and your wife begin to argue and fight. It seems like the demon horde of hell has descended on your address five minutes before that meeting's about to start. And what does that begin to expose? Begin to expose the poor connections that exist between you and God and those that are around you as well. So, what's the, the, the next thing? Only observed in careful testing or after failure. When this load is applied and begins to expose, we begin to get a good idea of exactly where that poor connection is. But what if that load isn't applied and it just lies dormant? There has to be some level of careful testing or it's exposed in catastrophic failure. 
You know, we mentioned earlier about meditating on God's word. And that meditation brings about correction, rebuke, teaching, and training in righteousness. This should be the most joyous times in our spiritual walk and our discipleship because it is the careful testing of our connections to see whether or not they're poor or they're good. We're, we don't have to experience catastrophic failure in order to identify poor connections between us and God or us and somebody else in our life. That it's a, it's a oil, it's a kindness upon our head when we get rebuked by God's word, we get rebuked by pastors, we get rebuked even by our brothers and sisters because it's enabling us to fix that poor connection and not come to a point where there is ultimate failure. Lastly, when shalom is off and electrical fires happen, lives are at risk. You know, when we wait and let Poor connection in our life go unchecked, untested. We hide it. It brings us to that point of not only injuring us, but injuring all those around us. Come on, in this church, we've gone through a few ups and downs the past year and a half or so. And it's been testing our connections. And praise God, they've been exposed and we've been able to get them right. But realize that the poor connection that is minor in you right now, being uh, that is untested, number one, it will be tested. But if you keep it hidden, it has the potential to affect more than just you. It affects this whole body. There's a difference between plugging into electrical outlet and staying plugged in. This is the, one of the, the major points that I was wanting to get to is that you can engage or plug into a work. You can plug into the body of Christ. But one of the main anthems that we've been going over through all these messages is a faithfulness that's over time. In order to accomplish the work that God has for you, you have to remain plugged in. You have to remain faithful to what God has put right there in front of you. None of you want to be this burn plug or this outlet, do you? No, you don't want to be fried crispy. This plug and this outlet has lost its connection to Jesus. But that's not who you are, and that's not what you're going to do in the name of Jesus. As a pastor, I am deeply committed to three things. Let me list these out for you. We'll begin with a picture. That first thing is a covenant with my wife driven by a vision for my family. Here we have uh, a young man that you can barely see because he is so ebony at the time. And you have a, a beautiful woman standing next to his side. You know, one of the things that uh, this captures is, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, it's August 1993. That is 25 years ago to the month this picture was taken. When I saw this beautiful woman, I could see the woman that she is today. God gave me insight, and ultimately he gave me hope for who she was going to be. Throughout the years, the 25 years that we've known each other, we have both celebrated incremental success. That has given me comfort. You know, that, that 
incremental success that brings comfort, it completely demolishes the lie in that comes up in your heart in marriage, and that's you'll never change. No, we are both engaging God's word. We're both getting plugged into the will of God for our life and to the vision of this church, and it has caused incremental success and thereby given us a comfort through the suffering of what that process has endured. Lastly, faithfulness in our marriage has preserved our lives. It has been a staple and a bedrock that come hell or high water, I know that my wife is with me. Come hell or high water, my wife knows that I am with her, and this covenant is the first and the priority covenant of my life. Ministry has to flow from your home. And when you are plugged into the will and to the word of God, it gives you that ability to build that bedrock that then everything else you do will flow from. That gives me hope. Say hope. That gives me comfort. And that preserved my life. Second thing that I'm committed to. A covenant with my ministry partners and the vision of this church. Raise your hand just so I can get an electrical knowledge survey. If you know what a three-way switch is. Okay, so about 30% of the room. Okay, for the rest of you guys, the other two-thirds. You know those switches that you can turn a light on and off from two different places in a room? Yeah, y'all know what that is? That's a three-way switch. So basically, what we have is that you have three conductors. You affect one, you bring effect to the other two. Y'all get that? Three conductors, you affect one, then you also affect the function of the other two. That is exactly what God has set up within this ministry team. There are three pastors. If you affect one of us, you also affect the other two. I know, kind of say, you mess with one bean, you get the whole burrito. Exactly. <laughs> Where this is more clearly seen in a non-comical way is, you all remember the phrase, I need my brothers and my brothers need me. Being plugged into the commitment to my ministry partners has given me the hope that I, I have that my brothers are always for me. My brothers are by my side. The commitment to the vision of this church while working for nine years has given me comfort. Now, I did not know that once I moved here in 2004, uh, yep, sorry, once I moved here in 2004, that I would have to work for nine years until entering into full-time ministry. And during the course of that nine years, so we'll look at this. Uh, August 93, I meet Cassidy. May of 94, we get married. December of 2001, we have Natalie. September 2003, we have Sydney. January 2005, we have Chloe. And August 2008, we have Emmy. We moved here in... Uh, March of, of, of 2004. It was from then until March of 2013 that I finally was able to step away from full-time secular work into full-time ministry. But during the course of that nine years, I worked to carry the load of both in a full-time fashion. 
the commitment to that gave me the comfort that God was going to fulfill the promise and that eventually he was going to bring about what I am standing in right now, being able to speak to you guys and have been for the past five years. Lastly, the commitment to our church has preserved me and my little ones. You know, if at some point I just decided that nine years was too long to wait and I was going to find another church that I could vision cast with that would better accept my talents and my personality and character, you know, I could find a fast track to a higher level. I would have been destroying the will of God for my little ones. I would have been abandoning God's will and purpose for my life because of my own selfish ambition. But by staying committed to the, the vision that God has originally given us, it has preserved not only my life, but now it's affecting four, all four of my daughters. It's affecting my mom's life, and it's affecting the rest of your life. Because the P-Rows are called to propel others into his presence, and whether that be through the word, worship, cooking meals, uh, cooking wonderful desserts, smiling and dancing in worship, whatever form, the P-Rows are here and committed to you guys to make sure that you also find that same hope, you find that comfort, and that you find that ability to preserve your own life. Amen? Well, that brings me to my third one. A covenant with this church body and, and the, the desire to raise up fivefold ministers and pillars of the faith. When I look out at each one of you guys and I see men and women of God that have been raised up and planted in this church and see your faithfulness to discipleship, your faithfulness to growth in your calling, that gives me hope. You know, to look out and see what God began five or six years ago with you, Steph. He brought you all the way from Chicago. He planted you in this body, and you're still here. After all the trials, I've watched God shape and form you into a wonderful woman of God, into a mom who is top-notch in every way. You have a son that is radiant, and he is vibrant and full of life. He's going to accomplish great things for the kingdom. I look out at all of your lives and I see that perseverance. I see that faithfulness over time and that brings me hope. It definitely makes me uh, appreciative of the sacrifice that has been made for all the years prior to this. To see families sent out from this body to the mission field, sent out from this body to plant churches has given me comfort. Comfort through the suffering of what just discipleship is. You know, all those one-on-one talks. I don't know if you guys ever had these with Pastor Eric, myself, or Pastor Wade. But those one-on-one conversations or meals at our house or your house, and we're sitting at a table, and everything's going nice, and then all of a sudden, oh, wow, I think the hammer's about to drop. And it does. And the result? I thought this was going to be a great dinner with a nice dessert at the end. Yep, that's exactly right. That difficulty of discipleship, it gives me great comfort to see the the next phase and the end result of all of our efforts. 
You know, we look out and we see the Vincents. We see the, the Brassos. We see what God is going to do in the Swan region. And then who knows what else more will be birthed from this church. It gives me immense amount of comfort. Because our labor in the Lord is not in vain. You guys make us proud to be your pastors. The fruit of your lives, lastly, is preserving our lives. So say this with me. Hope. Comfort. Preserving our lives. Let's go into Romans chapter 12. We'll start in verse 1. This particular passage, this scripture is what defines the mezuzah statement for the Piro household to propel others into his presence. And I want to just capture something real quick before we go too much and explain this. And that is, therefore, I urge you, brothers, this is that propelling element of the Piro family. There is a call. There is a destination. There are tasks that each one of you are to accomplish in God's will. And it is the function of the P-Rose to urge you and propel you into it. You know, one of the things that we're reflecting back uh, on the preserving our lives by seeing the fruit of yours is that when you see your brothers do well, you should thank the Lord that he is preserving your life through their success. Your success is my success and vice versa. But that's also go this goes this way. So whenever Caleb and Susanna excel and accomplish the will of God in their life, every single one of you are blessed and benefited from it. Then when you look at it, you should be dancing and rejoicing. Y'all remember when John and Joy announced that they were pregnant with Sarah? Come on, we joined in their struggle for six years. We saw them, we prayed for them, we laid hands on them, we prophesied over them. And it was just as much our burden as it was their burden. And the day that that news came that they were going to have life and give birth to life, we danced, we left, we shouted. It was probably the longest praise break that every church has ever had. Their success is preserving our life. You need your brothers and they need you. Let's finish the rest of Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our hope and desire as the Piro family in our mezuzah statement is that we are all about getting plugged in and getting you plugged in. I want to break this down into five different elements and how this is carried out. Number one, is your sacrifice a result of being plugged into his mercy? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll read verses 5 through 6. Is your sacrifice a result of being plugged into his mercy? Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, 
but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. We had to use even his body, Christ's body, in order to be plugged in. Does that give you hope, saints? Does that give you comfort? Does it preserve your life? Staying plugged into his mercy is a the source that we have to constantly go back and make sure that we are plugged into. Let's go to Hebrews 5, 9. Say there when you are there. there. Hebrews 5, 9 says, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. We have this as a hope, as a comfort, as a means of preserving our life, that in him we have the source of eternal life. When you are going to lay down your life for that next thing that God has called you to do, that next level of obedience, realize that you are joining the source from which you find the ability to do that. And in finding that commonality and joining him in that sacrifice, you know what you're also getting? You're getting the hope, comfort, and the preserving your life through the source of eternal life. Come on, when we're tapped into God, there's always enough to accomplish his will. When we're plugged into him, there's never a day that we go without. But I say that we do have to fight the feeling of not having enough, the feeling that we don't have what it takes. And what overcomes that is opening your eyes and realizing that your sacrifice is in view of that mercy that you have received by his body being laid down for you. And if he received eternal life and resurrection power to accomplish God's task, then the same is available for you. The second thing. Is your sacrifice unmixed? Is it holy? And is it pleasing to him? Let's go to Numbers chapter 18, verse 17. But you must not redeem the firstborn of an ox, a sheep or a goat. They are holy. Sprinkle their blood on the altar. And burn their fat as an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. You know, being holy and pleasing is having a good connection with Jesus. A good connection with him. Y'all saw the result of having a poor connection. But when we are just like one of these animals and we're laying down our life, we're letting it be the very sacrifice that he is asking for. It allows us to to therefore be that holy and pleasing element in his sight and demonstrates to all those around us, even in the heavenly realms, that we have a good connection with Christ. And the result is that his power is present. When holy and pleasing is there, he is available or, or ready to display his power through you. This should give you hope. This should give you comfort this should preserve your life the third one found in romans 12 1 through 2 are you resisting conforming with the pattern of this world are you resisting conforming with the pattern of this world let's go to revelation chapter 4 i mean sorry 14 verse 12 
This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's word. I'm sorry, who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. What is patient endurance? It's hupomone. Yes, it is. That's the right Greek word. Patient endurance. That's uh, three months, right? Uh, six months. Now, how long do you have to remain being plugged in for patient endurance to be patient endurance? As long as it takes to accomplish the task. Come on, hupomone, the definition of it is character that won't quit. A character that is plugged in to the source of who God is. Come on, you got to make up your mind sometimes, church. You got to realize that I am committed to this and nothing is going to unplug me from doing the will of God. It doesn't matter. And when you have that kind of determination, I can tell you the devil seeks out to go find a different source to pick on. Discouragement will not dissuade you at all from doing God's will. When we have that character that won't quit, we then demonstrate a faithfulness that remains connected to Jesus. This calls for a patient endurance on part of the saints who obey God's commandments and plug into Jesus would be another way to say it. This ensures he is the only source flowing through you. Now, we can patiently endure a lot of different things. But wouldn't it be sad if you patiently endured something that wasn't trying to accomplish God's will? But how joyous is it that just like we were mentioned earlier with John and Joy, that they patiently endured waiting for a child. They were remaining faithful to Jesus. They weren't blaming doctors. They weren't blaming their childhood or anything else. But they were just holding fast to what God had promised them and remaining faithful and plugged in and everything that God had entrusted to them. And then that day that came about, we celebrated with them because we were celebrating their hope. We were celebrating their comfort. We were celebrating God preserving their life and also preserving ours. Lastly, are you searching out for God's good, pleasing, and perfect will? Let's go to Psalm chapter 40 and verse 8. I'm sorry, hold up, church. I got ahead of my notes. Let's back up. We're, we're on the fourth one. This is, are you being transformed by being plugged into his word? Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 36. I got to get plugged in better. Chapter 36, verse 25. You know, when we resist conforming to the pattern of this world, it then puts us in a position for God to do a supernatural work within our own hearts and experiencing that transformational power. Ezekiel 36, 25 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Saints, does this give you hope? Come on. God gave us his Holy Spirit so that, number one, we didn't have to do this alone. 
that he would give us his comforter, his counselor, and he would move our hearts to do the very things that he desires for our obedience. You know, I, I could look at someone and just say, you know, Daniel, go be a tree. Well, Daniel would be a great tree, but yet he would not literally be a tree. But if there's a transformation that occurred and Daniel actually became a tree, now he is able to fully commit and be plugged in to the will at which I just spoke. What about whenever God looks at you and says, I want you to go do this. And you look at me and say, but Lord, I don't have that within me. I don't know how to do that. Every time I may even try my own strength, I keep getting it wrong. The comfort, the hope, and the ability to preserve our life is found by his spirit dwelling within us, giving us that supernatural ability that has transformed our lives and has given us the opportunity to be plugged in and fully obedient to his will. Amen? Now, the fifth one. Are you searching out for God's good, pleasing, and perfect will? Let's go to Psalm 40 in verse 8. I desire to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. When he is the source, his word is within your heart. And faithfulness will flow from it with, without constant supervision or pastoral presence. Come on, let, let's pick on, on children a little bit. So we don't have to directly call it out. My children do wonderful taking care of their chores as long as I'm sitting in the house. And I walk through the kitchen. I walk through the living room. I'm like, hey, pick that up. Hey, take care of this. Water the plants. What I'm looking for is that through that constant use that eventually there is that desire to do your will, O Lord, and that the law of the household is being birthed out of their own heart and not just waiting for it to be shouted in their ears. You know, I'm starting to see that change within my, my girls. I do now find that when I walk through the kitchen, I see Sydney doing the dishes and come to find out nobody told her that she had to do them. That's tra- yes, transformational power. <laughs> That's right. She'll do anybody's dishes. Come on, how much more is God pleased? When you've come to the altar, your heart's been broken by a message about faithfulness. You know, the very things that are the secret to your own heart are being preached from the pulpit. And you're broken. You're like, Lord, I don't know what to do. And he pours out his spirit within you. And you get up from this altar and you go. And next thing you know that you find that his spirit is speaking to you. He's leading you. He's directing you. And the law of the Lord is flowing out of your heart. That is causing every action to be pleasing. And you're hitting the mark every single time. Does this give you hope? Does this give you comfort? Does this preserve your life? Amen. God is the perfecter of our faith or faithfulness. And he helps us stay plugged in. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. We'll pick up in verse 2. Let us... Plug our eyes on Jesus, or into Jesus, the author 
and perfecter of our faith. The scripture actually says, let us fix, but we're going to use plug. Let us plug in our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. As we look at this a slide about new receptacle and new plug. Here we have an observant. So, you know, you've heard a picture is worth a thousand words. So to some, you might see it as, I don't know, it's a black or white issue. Or you have a two-prong and a three-prong. Well, you know, what I personally see in that is when you have a three-prong, you're utilizing the fullness of the, the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and that Holy Spirit. Amen. What I see below is somebody who uh, may be of the Baptist denomination. I'm not sure. Kind of missing that third element for power and protection. Yes, yes, yes. Like I said, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, <laughs> when you have the right kind of connection, when you have the right kind of being plugged in, it allows the fullness of power to flow through you while providing safety. You know, the old school way of doing things was that two prong below. If you go to a, into a home that's built in the 30s or earlier, you'll just see receptacles with two prongs. That third prong is called a ground. And it was added because people were plugging in electrical devices and being shocked to death by them. Well, when we utilize all three elements of who God is and being plugged into it, it provides not only for us power, but it provides for us protection. We stay grounded to his word. We stay grounded to the moving of the Holy Ghost. Come on, that's shocking. You know, also in this day and age, you may have thoughts and ideas of who Jesus is floating around that alternate. Christians that change when they step in and out of a church building. And we can relate that to alternating current, right? You know, they're a complete heathen at work and they're a saint at church. But the way we do things in this church is exactly the way we see it in the word. We are DC. We're direct current. There are a lot of things that are said about our church. And I think one of the most common ones is that, man, y'all are intense. Amen. I'm glad we're intense. Other types of uh, synonyms may be something like, I don't know, we're very direct. You know why? I don't have time to waste with just frivolities and light conversation. I want you to be plugged into the very same source that I'm plugged into. I don't want a day or a moment to go by that someone is standing before me. They're hurting, they're bleeding, they're broken, and I just walk away, and I don't plug them into the remedy, the source, and the healing that I've received. I love when you guys drag people in here and they are broken and they're frail and I can see their eyes from the worship stage and it's like they're riding a roller coaster. They are so overloaded with just the intensity of us going after Jesus. They got one or two choices. They're going to stay and get from God what they need or they're going to walk out and never come back. We're going to make people mad. We'll make people glad, but we're never going to leave them in a place of indifference. Amen? So the nature of electricity hasn't changed. And you know what? Neither has the gospel. 
neither has the, the element and the source for which we all must be plugged into. There's not a different way of doing things other than what we see the church acting like the church in the book of Acts. People try to add lights, fog, whatever source of entertainment to bring a level of comfort that God has never intended to bring. You know, it doesn't comfort people or give them hope or preserve their life to only just make them feel better about themselves. But you know what is hope, what is comfort in preserving their life? Is that they not only experience the convicting word of God that brings them to the altar, but they stand up in resurrection power. When they look in your eyes at work, your eyes in the grocery store, and they see something at work with inside of you that they're not plugged into. And it causes a hunger and thirst, and they want to know more. They crave to know more. Because you're plugged in, you're inspiring them to be plugged in. That leads us to our last point in this slide. Renewed faithfulness always makes the best connections. We read from Hebrews 12 too, let us fix our eyes. In relation to the slides earlier about a poor connection, that we have the opportunity right now to evaluate the, our own hearts and look at, Lord, where do I have a poor connection that needs a renewed faithfulness? Because the, these are the best connections. When we get up from the altar and we have that not only conviction, but we have that empowerment to go outside this building and demonstrate a faithfulness to God, it brings life to us and everyone else around us. It reestablishes that connection with the voice of God speaking to your heart. And then you can boldly speak his voice to other people. And they experience that transformational power just like you did. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to stand up. And I want us to, to relate to these pictures. And that the receptacle is our relationship with Jesus. The plug is our faithfulness to it. Is there, is the Lord identifying through this series of faithfulness areas of your life that have a poor connection to Him or to others? And that has to be fixed. You know, that remaining prong, that third prong has always been available. That empowerment by the Holy Spirit. Have you been trying to walk out the Christian walk in your own strength? And now that you've come to the full knowledge of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you're not sure if you really want to participate in it or if you can, or if God will even give it to you. I'm saying now is that time. Let's not waste a moment of doing without the power of God. If you've been separated from God or just out on the edge and looking in, estranged from Him, don't waste any time getting plugged back in to who God is. Let there be a renewed connection between him and you and you as well as other people. We'll begin to pray. I'm going to go down to this altar. I'm going to ask the Lord to renew connections in my life. I want my ears to be open. I want my eyes to see because I want the power of God flowing through me as that connection is restored. Amen. Let's begin to pray.